When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So Dave, we gave away these uh, Carlsberg tickets today for the Football Republic. We did like a competition in London, Leicester Square. We were like, oh, come yeah. down to get the tickets with a passphrase. It's going to be amazing, you know, all this sort of stuff. So this guy called Harry turns up. Me and Lawrence are there, the cheeky sport boys. Rob as well from TFR. Sophie from Chelsea Fan Channel. We've got confetti cannons ready to go. I've got mine put <laughs> up in the air. I'm ready to pop it off into the air as Harry walks in. Harry runs in. I pop it off. I go the wrong way round. And it goes oh, to straight. my, you know. The area, if you know, <laughs> the crown jewels. Oh dear, are you all right? Have you have to go to hospital about that? Um, no, uh, luckily it was just confetti, so okay. it's not the most powerful uh, thing that could hit you there. But it luckily got edited out of the video. I think I styled it out. I think I just looked quite surprised in the video. I'm like, what the fuck is there? I jumped in. <laughs> all good. I mean, it could happen to anyone, Lawrence. It could, it could happen to anyone. It could, I mean, it could happen to anyone. It just so happens anyone that Adam fired. Very st- <laughs> it just so happened I fired one into my I mean anyone can get a very simple rudimentary uh, confetti cannon wrong exactly, I mean, yeah wrong I mean essentially it, it doesn't tell you which way to oh wait a minute it, no but I mean <laughs> in essence it's 50-50 whether you're going to fire out the wrong way the, the, the right way you know what I mean it's 50-50 chance flipping a coin and unfortunately so you happened. fired a confetti cannon right into your balls so <laughs> it's a day I'll never forget I, I love I, I solidly cried i'd say with you struggled to compose yourself yeah <laughs> just before i was about to, i'd say for about two minutes embarrassing story it was it um. was it was just it was just the vision of adam firing a confetti <laughs> cannon into his own balls if i can find the footage i will put it on the front free twitter account for all to enjoy it after they kill me bye mm-hmm. anyway that was my wednesday <laughs> mine too It's Wednesday, which means it's time for the front three with me, Adam Bolt, with the one and only Lawrence McKenna. Welcome back. And of course, the stat man himself, Dave O'Brien. Oh, thanks for coming again. Thank you very much uh, for listening. Lovely to be back. I was obviously off uh, on the weekend, off in the Emerald Isle, beautiful island. And then you went to Ireland, uh, so yeah. Make the podcast, but it's lovely to be back. I had some nice comments, uh, some nice people sending me some adapted Paul Simon lyrics, which I have yes. to say I appreciate. Uh, James Moore, uh, James Mole, I should say. If you will be my bodyguard, I'll be your fanny. Good, that's a very good Shrug. one. And it would be even better if they said, uh, I will be a long lost fanny. Yeah, I mean, he's got it all wrong. Uh, yeah. Haman M definitely uh, got with the gist of it. He said, If you be my bodyguard, I'll be your long lost potch. Good, crying face, crying face. Nice. good. 
Rishabh Singh has gone for a bit of a long form one. If you'll be my hazard, I can be your long lost form. I can call you messy, and messy when you call me, you can call me a liar. Oh, very oh. good. Excellent <laughs> headline. I mean, that's that's almost it's, worthy of working for the something. Uh, and Alfredo Arnais said, if you'll be my bodyguard, I can be your long lost Paul Gascoigne. P.S. Please don't call me Al. So there you have it. Clever. Comment. Very clever. See, that's so why we did it, Adam. People like music and they like football. And they I like mean, bullying you as well, Boltwood, for not showing yeah. up. All we've got to do is we're trying to give you incentives not to not be on the podcast. The big, there's a massive incentive to not miss a podcast. Because if you I do, you're basically couldn't have, It's the in-laws, isn't it? There's no, I, I can't avoid... You yeah, do, you, do you miss I, dinner I, with the in-laws or do you miss I can't say uh, to podcast? I can't say to Shona's 82-year-old granddad, I'm doing a podcast, mate. I can't come to your birthday party. One, it'll be like, what's a podcast? Two, it'll be like... <laughs> Two, you well, could say, mate, mate, here's an iPod. Do you want to be on? Yeah. Yeah, do you want to come on, Special mate? guest this week. Special guest this week, <laughs> all the way from Ireland. Uh, Don't have any problems, mate. Anyway, let's, um, let's get on with the podcast then. First off, comment of the week, as always, uh, a lovely review here from One Money on iTunes. If you want to be up with a chance of being comment of the week, get on iTunes, leave that review, leave that rating. Money's gone for good football podcast with Lawrence nutmegging all the institutions on the left wing, Dave whipping in the staps and the bant from the right, and Adam nodding in the facts. The front three are certainly the most dangerous front line in the football podcast world. Oof, when they can read things, they are, yeah. <laughs> uh, so five stars, though. He said it was a good football podcast, but he gave it five stars. So um, Credit. I mean, if he that. thinks that's good, God, just imagine. Fair play. Yeah. Guys, let's get into the news. Uh, there's been some pretty big news today. Mm. Gary Neville has been sacked after less than four months in charge of Valencia. Uh, hell. Only won 10 games yeah. uh, in 28, which is... What's that uh, as a percentage? It, That's low. That's below it's 50. Low. It's definitely low. Uh, Valencia, you know, I can understand why they got rid of Neville, but anyway, he, he released a statement saying, I would have liked to continue the work that I started, but I understand that we are in the business based on results. And in 28 games, we have seen 10 wins, 7 draws, and 11 defeats, which is not the level demanded by me or this club. Dave. Right. It's, it feels harsh, but at the same time, it, almost unavoidable. It wasn't going to last any longer than this summer anyway. It wasn't going to last beyond the end of the season, so it's almost like, why not just get rid of him now? No, it's it's a fair point. It's just it's interesting how poorly he's done. Um, obviously, it's a big big challenge going to Valencia, not speaking Spanish. You know, we said that when he when he came, but he, he sort of has failed tactically. Valencia, you know, when I've ever seen them, they've been absolutely awful. They've looked so disjoint. They're not playing to their strengths. It seems like they've got quite a few English style players. At, you know, the two lads they've got up front. Uh, Paco and Negredo could go with the front two, you know, play a, play a target man, just hit the ball to Negredo and go. And they've got two, you know, they've got energetic midfielders in there, Parejo, um, Gomez. It just seems like he was trying a bit too much. He was playing like a 4-5-1 that was a very deep 4-5-1 with the build-up out the back so slow. So on Gary Neville-esque when you talk about how he likes football, you know, he talks about how he likes the rock and roll football, how he fell in love with that Borussia Dortmund team. And this was so far from that side, it was ridiculous. You know, you've got some very, very good players in there. Pablo Piate, Sherashev. These are players that are decent for Gooley, but they all just look so bang out of form and so, like, a little bit uninteresting in a way. You know, Santi Mina probably, you could say, was the only sort of standing light of this terrible, terrible time. But mm. poor Gary Neville has failed in his first managerial job. I mean, do you think it's a good move 
from Valencia Lawrence, seeing as, I mean, they're six points above the relegation zone now. Eight games left to play. That's kind of the yes, point. Yes, Valencia only won one of the last five in the league, but it's, 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 a, it's not the ideal time to suddenly change manager and, and bring that upheaval. What? I mean, how far are they off the relegation zone now? They, you know, they're six points. Literally, six points, six points above the relegation zone. Um, I, obviously, there's no point in saying no club is too big to go down, but at the same time, um, I think there are worse clubs in La Liga, so you know they don't see themselves in as much danger as I'd imagine people want to paint it. Mm. Um, it. Basically, you know, it was a good experience for him. I think the problem that Valencia hit with it was that they weren't really employing a manager with a track record. And so whilst it looked great from Gary's side and if things could have just sort of coasted, that would have been fantastic. But it wasn't the way that it went. And so, you know, the decision makes sense. And in Spain, I mean, you know, uh, apparently there's a celebration this weekend in Spain and they were literally burning effigies of the owner and Gary Neville. That's worrying. (laughs) That's when you know things are bad. That's when you know it's bad. I mean, you thought waving handkerchiefs was bad. I mean, yeah. th- th- it's nothing when That's they're burning sense. effigies of you because you play four-five-one. <laughs> We're talking there. Dave mentioned there about you know Neville's mistakes almost in the in, tactically in terms of the way he played. But I mean, we said and everyone said when he took that job, Lawrence, that it's one of the most difficult jobs in European football. He's now the 16th manager uh, to have been sacked or moved on. They do expect a very a, good... In the last 16 years. Yeah, they expect a very good um, class of football, I think, even if it's not... Uh, you know, the, the style isn't always sort of the most uh, incredible. You know, they really still respect Rafa Benitez there for what he did in his time at the club. You know, I think they had some... Uh, some, some Basically, some expectations that... they Essentially, they're a bit of a... It's hard to put them on level. Not not a, a they're a, sort of a Liverpool or a Newcastle level club, if you like. If you're looking for a sort of reference point, you don't know La Liga so well. They're big mm. team. Uh, they have a very high expectations and almost expectations which mean that the club have to perform there or they consider it not to be success. And so th- that's the issue. There is that it, it, there was very little patience for Gary. I think with the lack of patience and you know also obviously newspapers wanting to sell papers and I also think Dave at times some really big chances missed from their key guys they basically didn't conspire to work for him but at the same time I don't feel like he's lost a lot I wouldn't say he's lost a lot. It's a good experience, obviously, managing a you know a club of the size of Valencia. Yeah. The thing that you've got to question, though, there's a lot of teams that are sort of really overperforming their resource in in La Liga this season. Villarreal, Celta Vigo, Athletic Athletic Club that you could all say they've done very well. Ibar, you know that great fellow that came on our our podcast. And it's just interesting to see Valencia, who actually have resource-wise have a lot, and they've spent quite a bit of money recently. But it seems like they're buying all the wrong players again. It seems like a ship without a without a captain in a way where they're sailing in a direction, but they're signing all these players for X amount of cash. You know, Peter Lim is is the owner, and he's a billionaire, so they can spend the money. You know, signing Negredo. Negredo was quality um, at Sevilla, and he was really good, in my opinion, at Manchester City. I was mm. pretty surprised he did go on a bad run of form and sort of like got booted out of the club in a way. You know, you've got the right components to be really competitive. You know, you look at um, how athletic Bilbao play. They play a very English style. Adderi's up front. They go get the ball wide. They cross it or they go direct to him. Why not do the same with Valencia? It just And that sort of, you know, that will go against so many teams. That will beat the, the classic Spanish teams in the league that play a classic st- uh, Spanish style playing direct English football. They won't see that coming, but it seems like Gary Neville... 
it's it, it's a little bit like England in a way, how they're so poor out the back. They're so, so poor out of building up out the back. And I feel that potentially the, the Valencia side and the England side have that same characteristic of being too slow out the back that is, and I taking too it, much time. I did find it unusual um, that, that sort of Benitez, for that reason, didn't wait. I mean, I, because it just seems like the almost mm. perfect mix again of Benitez going back to Valencia, saving the club. There must be a reason why he didn't go back there. And it seems a little bit like the poison chalice, which, you could, again, you could say there are equivalents in the Premier League and equivalents in a lot of league to right now. Well, Dave, where do you think it leaves Neville? I think you mentioned there that you don't think it does much damage to him. Obviously, he's going to be going to the Euros with England in his coaching role. But do you think this has hurt his reputation in England at all? Do you think he, he sort of it lessens the chances of getting a job in the Premier League or the, or the Championship? They say that he's got to go down the leagues. You know, you look at someone like Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank that's taken Burton Albion like massively up the league. Um, and I think he's got to do something like that because his record, uh, you know, is, is definitely, definitely been tarnished by this. You know, can he go mm. back on Sky Sports and, and put the same opinion across? Yes, and he should be able to do that. But there were people that will mock him, but then he's going to have to take that. And it's going to have to be, you know, he's going to have to c- come through this and, uh, and deal with the mocking. But I feel like getting a job at a lower sort of a lower league team. Obviously, Hasselbank, sorry, has moved on from uh, Burton Albion after doing a great job there to QPR. He's got to do the same sort of steps. He's got to go down to maybe League Two and then he's got to see if he can coach and see if he can mix it with um, in that style of football and build himself back up. And I feel that's the only way he's got to go. He's got to go back to learning the basics. You know, he was thrown at the top. It's like you sort of, you know, you've just left university and now you're MD of a bank. That's kind of what he's done. So he needs to go back and go through the exec and the whatever and the, yeah, all the steps of, of banking and sort of slowly build himself up, work on his philosophy, his style, because it seems like he's going two separate ways, you know, trying to be the Gagan Preston style manager, but then also trying to build out really slow out the back. He's got to either speed one of those up or go down the other route. And it feels like he's got a lot of um, sort of soul searching to do, but then maybe he doesn't even want to be a manager. You know, he said on that documentary about Salford City on the BBC that, he doesn't really see himself as a manager long term. He potentially sees himself more of as more as, as an owner. But that question is, why did he take it in the first place? It just seems like a really funny decision for Neville, for Valencia, for Peter Lim. And potentially that could have tarnished that relationship because obviously Peter Lim's a big shareholder in Salford. Yeah. I do, I do also think, though, that um, Gary Neville's a bit of an old school character within football. And I think he sees football as not only a business, even though he's trying to run one on the documentary and also trying to interact with the one at Valencia. I also think he sees it as somewhat of an exercise and a thought, almost a thought, uh, a thought exercise. And so with that, I think that was partly what he was doing at Valencia, was looking into his experiences there, what he could do at Valencia, what he was going to do there, how he was going to achieve it and what it meant to be at a bigger club like in La Liga. So I do think there's... There's some uh, academic validity to what he's trying to do. So, like this, this thought, or whatever you want to call it, thought trial that he went on while he was at Valencia and basically tried out a lot of different ideas or tried to do something there. I think it makes sense to me, and I, to some extent, I can respect that because it's not always about the business or the bottom line for me. And to some extent, you can understand Peter Lim seeing the same, being a billionaire and knowing that maybe he wanted to cut his losses. Maybe he just didn't think it would be so bad. <laughs> I'll tell you who is a bad record for, for though. Philip Neville. <laughs> yeah, poor Phil. Uh-huh. Is, he, is he ever going to get an assistant manager job again? Obviously, <laughs> failed at United, failed at Valencia. What has he got left? Uh, 
Dave, that that's that sounds very harsh. <laughs> I don't know. I just think that you know, I don't think that he also doesn't suit. Maybe doesn't suit management, or maybe doesn't suit being an assistant manager. Maybe he'll he'll suit a coaching role. But I feel maybe he needs time again. He needs time to work on his trade, and he feels that he's been he's jumped in a bit too fast. Mm, maybe. I mean, basically, I I feel a bit. So I feel. I feel sorry because very often I think the press are very quick to move in. They, you know, they know, uh, basically, I, I feel like the press will comment very quickly when they know very little about the situation. I, you know, I think Dave's right in his analysis. He didn't achieve maybe what the club set out to do. But I also think, you know, reputation wise, there's very little that Gary had to lose. And he can basically go back to his, uh, he can go, go back to his job on Sky or come back to England with a relatively untarnished reputation. And I imagine there'll be a lot of people who back him up as well. Be great to see if he does go on, on back on Monday Night Football. I think uh, Jamie Carragher is going to have some fun. He will roast it <laughs> every, time. <laughs> every time he sort of criticizes someone's defending. Yeah, yeah. oh, you can't be playing four five one. Well, Gary, oh, okay. um, Gary. <laughs> you know, <laughs> funny you say that, Gary, because when you played four five one, Gary, it turns out that you were pretty shitty at Gary. <laughs> he's going to bring up that 7-0 thumping in the Coppadell yeah, Ray about 5,000 times he's <laughs> going to come up a lot um, another manager obviously uh, lost his job this week though Dave was uh, Remy Gard some saying he was always a poor fit for Aston Villa but it's hard to put too much of the blame on him when the club are in such disarray really. yeah it's a, it's, a, it's a crazy one obviously they appointed him post Tim Sherwood Tim Sherwood you know, isn't the greatest manager of all time. But I still feel that Villa squad was talented enough at the start of the season to get them playing the right style and to integrate those players. They could have done. They could have done well in the league. You know, you look at someone like Adrissi Gayan that, um, in terms of turning over the ball, only Conte's done that more in Europe's top five leagues in the last two seasons. You know, tackles and interceptions. I think he's only eighty-one behind Conte, and Conte is an absolute machine at that. You know, players like Jordan Avai, that if he hadn't got injured, he was re- really good at left back. Mm. But the thing with Remy Gard is that he came to the club, and then they didn't let him spend any money in January. With this, like you know, with this, the big holes in the side. You know, um, players like Mika Richards that didn't work again in England. You have got Julian Lescott that's more bothered about what his car looks like. Oh, just Dave, feels come that- on, that's reductionist. That is reductionist, but what I mean is it's poor. It, you know, his performances were poor on the pitch. Everyone everyone saw that. They very, very poor yeah, performance. Yeah, yeah. As you, I, I was just trying to throw a little bit of Billy Banter in there, I'll, Lawrence, I'll be, but you I mean, shot me down. You, but, but Billy, <laughs> Billy's not always down for banter, Dave. Sometimes he's, sometimes he's Simon serious. Sorry. And okay, sorry, sorry, Simon. It, 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 Lawrence, it's also that I, why would you employ someone who's clearly a Wolves fan? It just makes no sense. <laughs> the, it is interesting as Dave points out that they didn't really back him in the transfer market I mean as you mentioned they, they sort of sold four of their best players in the summer yeah. and they didn't try to recruit anyone uh, to replace them in the summer or in January no the point of being the summer the point of being the summer I think they did actually try and recruit yeah youth. I think, I think they, 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 they didn't do too bad but what they did they did it then entrust that youth with essentially um, someone who's just graduated from university, and so uh, that that's that what was I mean, they're not ad, almost not adequate replacements. I mean, how important was Benteke for them last season? Yes, well, I think that, who have they really filled the gap with? That's quite an interesting one. Obviously, Gested was the one that they filled that gap with. Gested had a cracking Tim goal Sherwood. scoring record. He was, he was it, cracking under Sherwood. And the, you know, it's, it's interesting to see, you know, players that have come up from the Championship recently have done quite well in the Premier League. So Gested's kind of one of the only ones that's gone against that trend. You know, we think of Agarlo Dini, uh, you know, Jamie Vardy, 
this is the, one of the biggest ones that's flopped in a way. You know, he went for a lot of money and he had the the right sort of uh, attributes in a way. You know, bit, a big striker, good in the air, scored a lot of goals with his head. And it was, I think it was the, he had a record amount of goals in his head in the championship the last mm. season he was there. Obviously, it would be a decent fit to replace Benteke, but it didn't work out. And that was their big, that was their big sort of spend in in the in the forward line. So. Potentially, that could have been an area where they could have definitely adjusted in in January, hundred percent. You know, think of the payment that they, the payment package. You've got to think about that. You've got to like go all in in January, especially with a new manager. Just Randy Lerner, what is he doing? I, I think Randy Lerner's learned a lot in that time. You know, it's very clear, and the headlines <laughs> have been out that he's he's lost a lot of money on the club at this point. Something like a hundred thousand pounds a day. I can't remember hundred thousand pounds a day, hundred thousand pounds a week. Either way, that doesn't seem like a great operating cost for anyone. But the, yeah. the uh, you know, I mean, without wishing to sound too preachy about it, it, is sort of, I think they learned too much too late at the Aston mm. Villa, and I think they took a lot of things for granted that at the very top level, the way that people operate will sort of continue, and I do think that a lot of people let them down because it was assumed that those people were as invested as maybe Randy Lerner assumed they were, etc. And I think basically they came into contact with a club or a, a culture which was about, you know, oh, well, you know, I'll come and play at my final days here or this could be my next chance. Didn't work out. Okay, well, I'll coast until the end of the season and then see what happens from there. I think Aston Villa have been somewhat sold at the water and the fans, especially the people who feel sorry for, again. (laughs) That's the thing, isn't it? Because they're obviously, they are a big club and, you know, they've got a relatively impressive history. I mean, Lawrence, you've spoken before about how you think it's kind of a shame almost that they're going down, that they'll be missed. Yeah, of course. I mean, I uh, yeah, Aston Villa is a huge institution, especially in the Midlands. So why why would you not miss? It worries them though going into the championship about how if they can bounce back straight away and get promotion the following season. <sighs> it depends who comes in, I guess. In the in the last few games, it'd be interesting. Nigel Pearson coming, eh? He's he's uh, <laughs> he did a job last season. Maybe. Just to really punish the players, just <laughs> let Mike make Nigel Pearson come in and Whoa. just sort of. Were Leicester bottom this stage uh, last year? Eight games. I think they were actually, you know, because there was that stat not long ago, a year ago on the was it the twenty third of March, which is basically starting into the international break. Leicester were twentieth in the league. I think even he'd struggle to uh, to get this. Find out, mate. Find out. I mean, Pearson must be considering it, but he must also be thinking, Mm. you know, why (laughs) why would I go and basically prove that it was a one off and actually I'm not as good as everyone keeps saying I am? Why would he do that? Imagine if he did though. Imagine if Super Nige Super Nige comes to Villa, wins every game, every single game, eight on the bounce. (laughs) Yeah. The the strange thing about Villa is even then they're still going down. (laughs) Yeah. Surely the frustrating thing about Villa is just how poorly run they've been through the years. Was it Gerard Houllier was there? Alex McLeish, which was just a ridiculous appointment. Paul Lambert, who just, uh, you know, failed completely. And then Tim Sherwood uh, seemed a bizarre uh, appointment at the time. Again, Remy Garth hasn't worked out. You know, you wouldn't wouldn't trust them to make the right appointment and and to get themselves back into the Premier League. The question is, where do they go now? Who do they go with? Do they go with someone that they believe can work with this squad or do they put a bit of investment in? 
to, to, to bring the squad to sort of a championship level because even say this squad doesn't look equipped to battle in the championship. They look lightweight. They look like they don't have very much in midfield to be able to combat whatever the opposition are putting towards them. No protection for the back line. The back line seems to be very disparate. Doesn't seem to have very much organisation to it. And whatever they're doing at the very front isn't geared towards a championship style of football. Doesn't seem to be geared towards any style of football. So they need someone who's going to come in and give them something to get them back up into the Premier League. Because mm. it's also, and I think a lot of Aston Villa fans have made this point, it's the worst season they could have gone down. Because had they stayed up one more season, at least they got that money investment. At least they yeah. got something there that could have said, you know, this this is what's going to keep us up. This investment, this is what's going to set us apart from the championship. No, not anymore. Mm. What about for guard, Dave? Because we're talking there about how Valencia's short time at Valencia may have impacted his reputation. Obviously, Garn's been there for five months at Villa. Do you think he's going to be someone who, who's hit by this experience? I think he could play the sort of uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer card at Cardiff. Got a crazy owner. Um, nothing I could do about it in any job interviews. Apparently, he's already got his profile back up on LinkedIn looking for new roles in football. But what you you know about Gard is that... He, his roles have come from, um, you know, from youth academies. He was at Lyon through their youth academy for a long time. Did a lot of good work there. You know, players like Lacazette and Titi are all a sort of players that came through the youth academy of guard, and then he brought them into the side. So he's got a very good, you know, history of developing young players, and I think that's what Villa wanted. But then they realised that they actually had a bit of a shitstorm to deal with before they can go and, you know, think about the future and, you know deal with players like Jack Grealish. Again, someone that's kind of, uh, you know, been forgotten about, but could be, you know, arguably could have, you know, carried this Villa side to safety if he wasn't mm. mis- misguided or stupid or whatever you want to call it. You know, a very, very good player. Uh, you know, people saying he could be the next big thing in England. You know, the, is Eng- did he have a debut for England or was I mistaken here? Mm. They played for the under-21s, but he had a, you know, performed very well there and then you know just goes out of his mates on, on the piss after the Everton game that starts the it's sort of you start to think that that dressing room doesn't really care at all and then again going back to that Lescott thing dressing room don't care there's no one there that's that's that's, that's fighting there's no one there that's you know have a punch okay. with each other because the performance okay. isn't there and you kind of need that in when you're in a relegation scrap you need people to scrap and I don't you know there's no fighters in that ability Speaking of don't care, the international break was obviously happening over the last week or so. England, very impressive against Germany. A fantastic comeback to win 3-2. Less impressive losing to Holland Lawrence. The defence being picked out as the main weakness for England. John Stones copping a lot of the criticism. Has to be said, although the squad for England does look quite promising in attack and obviously in midfield, the defence is maybe not that good at actually defending. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of talk over the last week about uh, who should go. Um, you know, obviously, we did our own video. We've put that up with that's going up on Yahoo over the next couple of days. And, and people have check on every fucking channel have done their thoughts on the same 23 men who are going to the tournament. And we've all put our slight mm-hmm. variations in um, and bored each other senseless. Um and you know that's fine, but I think there we've got we've taken something interesting away from the Germany game that you know practically England have ability um, they they can apply it. Is that going to be consistent? Is that application going to be going to be able to be consistent at a tournament? And is it almost? Um, what I'm saying is there's a lot of people who sort of go, you know, this guy's got, you know, John Stones has got to go or Cahill's got to go. Cahill's got to be the captain. These sort of things. 
what yeah. we saw between between Germany and the Netherlands is basically the best and the worst of what could happen at a tournament. Is that when mm. England do well, they'll perform against a side who weren't playing particularly well come the second half. When they do badly, then they can be very much taken advantage of. And a tournament is the the, the peak of both of those. And it's that tournament environment where that's where England tend to suffer. We always get our hopes up. We always talk about <laughs> And it, there's a lovely conversation on the Football Ramble this week. I can't recommend enough going to, going to listen. to a 20-minute discussion about the England squad, about who they're putting together, and about why uh, it, the expectation, those sort of things, play into even the construction of a squad. It's well worth a listen. Um, and you know, I can really highly recommend it. Those four guys know a lot about supporting England. They've travelled all around the world with them. So it's it's... It's frustrating, but at the same time, it's been enjoyable. Uh, thanks for all the good times. Let's just cancel the tournament. Assessment of England then from those two games. Well, I think it, it, you know, sort of weighs with something that I mentioned on on one of the videos is how England should play football. You look at the two games and you see that England are playing on the counter attack against Germany. Again, they started poorly. I thought England were very, very poor for the first sixty minutes. Thought they were. Tony Cruz ran the show. Nobody got near him. They sat far too deep. They didn't press England, press Germany in the right areas when there was opportunity. Um, and and then they sort of changed up. You know, they went to a diamond. They started to you know they started to trouble Germany centrally. Jamie Vardy is a big big player for England. Obviously a massive player for Leicester City, but he gives England a lot as well with his pressing, with his ability to get into the channels. But then you, you know they, they they go on to win the game. You know, a, a pretty decent performance in the in the second half. You know, the second half of the second half, you'd say. But then against Holland. When they have to dictate the play, they're very poor at it. They get caught on the counter-attack. They make mistakes. You know, very unfortunate. John Stones is now getting too much criticism. Again, this happens in in the media that you know one player makes one mistake, he slips over. That wasn't the phase that England uh, conceded the goal. The phase that they conceded was this, this phase afterwards. Yes, John Stones mm. made the mistake. Yes, that opened up the opportunity, but England didn't react to that. And yes, he's been pulled apart for it, but. If you look at the amount of passes that he plays forward into areas that are accurate, like the ball to Theo Walcott against Holland, that was absolutely exquisite. You want someone like that in your squad. The, the problem is he needs to cut out those slips, and that's it. That's all mm. he needs to do is, is stay on his feet. Where's yeah? Wear some wear some studs. That would be quite interesting to know what what boots he was wearing that day because that's that isn't the first time that John Stones has slipped this this season. Maybe that's something he has to look at. Just change your boots. Simply that. <laughs> And then you, you, they eradicate that error. You eradicate that, you know, the big big hype on him. But I think with John Stones, is he's got the composure to be a really top centre half, and we we don't want to forget that he's twenty one years old. He's got to yes, he has yeah, to physically develop. He's got to get bigger. Thing, it? It's crazy. It's, it's crazy so that the media just flips on it. Yeah, get out, get out now. Again, I wouldn't start John Stones, but that's because I set England a few weeks ago. Jesus. Exactly. You know, it's, but then that's it, isn't it? That's the media. Paul you, could, you could write it both ways, though. I mean, you could say uh, so. Media narrative can go. Either way, you could go, thank God he got all his mistakes out pre-tournament. Great. Now he can go to the <laughs> tournament. He's learned his lesson, blah, blah, blah. Or you go, ooh, that's terrible for the tournament. It's however you want to string someone up. And it's basically how they want to sell papers. The idea is, between football is practical and uh, the, the actual application of your ideas and your theories. That's where Gary Neville went wrong. That's where Remy Gard and Aston Villa have gone wrong. And that's sometimes where England go wrong. And you'd say that there's a reason why we keep coming back to the media and the way that they treat the England squad is because it changes the way that fans approach them. And it changes the way that we support our team. And I think, you know, the, the point is again made on the ramble. It's about, it's about what you expect from that side. So if we expect, mm. you, know, you know, if we expect them to win the tournament, maybe we're the idiots. 
<laughs> Let's talk about uh, another team who impressed over the international break, and that is France, of course. I think the lesson that maybe we've learned from that, Lawrence, is that their squad has got incredible depth in it. I mean, we've seen Dimitri Payet and N'Golo Kante sort of making their first starts for the French team, sort of breaking through into that squad, impressing in the most recent game. And yeah. these are not even players that are considered, you know, automatic starters. First team, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, I also think, obviously, uh, that there's other things to be said for that in that, you know, they've not played in the tournament, they've not been in the squad for a particularly long time. Are they facing the kind of challenges that uh, maybe they'll face at a tournament? Uh, is it the kind of pressure that maybe they'll be facing at a tournament? No. So practically, there are questions there. But consistently, those guys seem to have um, delivered when the pressure's been on them in the Premier League. And, you know, so are the other players within the French team. Uh, when you look at that side, there is also, I think, and this is the point, is that we were talking about ta- being tactically um, adaptable at a tournament and England having to adapt around other sides. There's so much aggression within that mm. French side. You know, do you want to do you want to put Griezmann there, or do you want to put Giroud there, or do you want to put the Pogboom there, or you know, do you want to go with someone who allows your formation to be aggressive? I like that side because it's so sort of outwardly. Um, you know, you can almost you see where the you see where the danger is, but it, it's very it's difficult to stop. It's you know, it's like watching that it's, Dimitri Payet free kick the other night. It's like great, stop it. Oh, you can't. It's that's the thing going forward. You mentioned some of the names there, Griezmann, Kingsley Coman as well, Ben Arthur, who's been fantastic. He's obviously Pyatt, Anthony Martial, Karim Benzema, Alexandre Lazette. Uh, very good going forward, but Dave, there have been some question marks again uh, about France at the back. It looked like they got a strong team on paper. I mean, we're looking at Sacco, Varane, Koscielny in the middle there, obviously Evra, uh, Digne on the left, Sanya on the right. Those are where the question marks are being asked. This may be the weakness of this team, who for many are the favourites to win the whole thing. I think, again, they've got a little bit of um, Arsenal-itis about their back four. Ooh. They don't have any real leader, leaders in there that... Sorry, leaders central, I think. I think they've got Patrice Ever there, who's, who definitely is a leader, but I feel you need someone in there. I feel that Varane and Koscielny, they don't strike me as someone that would be commanding and would, you know... That sort of boss everyone around and everyone sort of respects middleware. I feel that obviously with Evra and Sagna at fullback, they two older players that have got more experience. You know, you see the, the Netherlands game. What I liked about France is the transition from um, attacking to defence looked quite good. Um, they had um, they were playing sort of a, a 4-3-3, you'd say, with um, who was sitting in the middle? Olivier Giroud, then um, Griezmann on the right, and then Payet on the left-hand side with a central midfield of Matuidi, Pogba and Lastiara holding what that went what how that sort of transitioned into a defensive structure was it went to uh, two banks of four which I love in this mm. you know current era in football that's the, the strongest way to go with two forwards up there gives you the counter attacking I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Gives you the, the control of the space between the lines and so forth. So what happened there was Pogba would shuffle out to the right wing position. Last Diallo would hold one central midfield position, uh, Matuidi the other one, and then Payet was filling in. So it looked very, very good in that sort of the shape looked good, which was, you know, it was Quite, I, was, I, was, I was very impressed about that. I didn't think that um, you know the French team would do that. I, th- I thought they'd be quite disjoint. You know, three attackers staying up top because they didn't want to track back. But the issues came when they were de- they were dealing with set pieces. You know, they conceded a very very poor goal from a wide area. Memphis Depay whipped in a half decent ball. It, they got a flick onto it. It was a handball, but you, someone's got to take control of those situations of those set pieces. Then the second goal that they conceded was um, a cross that was pretty much driven. Uh, it was like a pass into the penalty area that was side footed home. You know, something that you can deal with, a set piece that's pulled to the edge of the area that you that you should be stopping. Someone's got to pick that up. Someone's got to stop that ball. So with France, it's that organisation at the back, both in set pieces and when they're defending. I feel that they've got to get a bit of control for. They've got to make you know they've got to give give someone the leadership. You know, Sacco came and played in the second game against Russia with Varane. Again, Varane Sacco. Is there anyone there that's going to command? I don't think so. So that's the only big concern is that France don't have a strong lead in the middle. But they did look very very good. They looked. Um, every time they were attacking in the first half against the Netherlands, they looked like they were going to score a goal. You know, Griezmann was getting opportunities mm. to get shots away. Payet looks absolutely awesome in the French colours. And then they've got either Giroud, who's been half decent, and Gignac, who's top scorer in Mexico this season. So they've got enough quality there to really... And then Kingsley Coman, you know, that's the depth. There's so many different types of players there, you know, inside forwards, wingers, very, very quick players players that are going to come to the ball, players that are going to go away from the ball. And I think that's the beauty of the French line. And then the midfield is quality. So it's just that defence and just getting that organisation sorted and they'll win the Euros. That new kit is lovely Ooh. as well. Both their new kits are really Oh, it is, yeah. it is very, very nice. Yeah, I'm coming around to the England kit as well. What about you? Still not too sure about the socks. But I think I it makes them look big. Like that's what I like. Socks. It makes them look very broad. You know, like we, mm. Jamie Vardy's he's on his way to being built, but he's still a bit of a skinny little <laughs> English boy, isn't he? Big fan of the Germany kit as well. Yeah. Love that sort of classic home and, black I mean, speaking, home and away. Speaking of which, oh. another interesting game over the international break. Germany being Italy 4-1, looking quite comfortable. But there are a few sort of question marks over their squad. Lawrence, obviously the captain, Bastian Schweinsteiger, looks like he could miss the Euros. Uh, Gundogan sort of picked up a little uh, knock. Goethe played, obviously, but people aren't sure whether he's, he's going to be in the team. Obviously, the world champions, they're going into this tournament not as the favourites, because obviously France have taken that position, which we've already spoken about. Talk to me a little bit about Germany and what you think their sort of their sort of chances are going into this tournament after those friendlies. Obviously, they're going as the, world, the, the reputation of a world champion. Champions, um, yeah. And I think, though, the, the point would be that that reputation, I think even Jürgen Lerp has uh, sort of referenced it in certain interviews where he's basically said, you know, had we not scored that goal, the perception of us as a squad would be quite different. Um, mm. uh, you know, the, the almost runs and the almost runs, those sorts of things. And I do think the German side and sometimes the German press can play into that. Um, there's a soft underbelly to this really impressive German team. Um, mm. 
And uh, I think basically their their goal is again going to be get to the final and then uh, not try and snatch a similar result, but basically uh, play a game which plays into their strengths, which is so much individual skill, which allows them to place emphasis on certain parts of the pitch and basically play around the other team. Mm. Dave, uh, still on Germany, obviously. Question marks, I said, they, you know, the right back spot, Philip Lahm, since he's retired, they haven't quite found... Mate, I disagree, thank in. you. <laughs> Uh, Emre Chan, so on, <laughs> no, you're right. against England, mate. <laughs> like I said, so, I were any were any of those got were any of those goals conceded from his side? I, I do, but that's, I think positionally he looks a bit. He's not. He's not right back, is he? He's left footed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, although, why would you play? But, like, I don't understand why he's played at left back in his career for Leicester Cousins, but he's never played right back yet. They're playing him at right. I don't know. It seems like a crazy thing. It's unusual. That could be. A, that could obviously be a weak point. If you know Jerome Boateng finds okay. form, you'd say Boateng and Hummels in the middle is, is a very strong partnership. The midfield is obviously very strong. A lot of options there, but again, for Germany, a lot of people question up front whether that's the, the area where they have a deficiency. I mean, Mario Gomez obviously plays for Germany. We've obviously got Thomas Müller who can fill in up there. I mean, where do you think Germany need to improve, Dave? I think they definitely need to go back to the the four three three that they sort of played more in the World Cup. You'd say with Thomas Muller through the middle, um, and then you know either Sil Draxler, Royce, whoever you want to play out wide, just play them out wide. But I feel that system worked for them at the moment. They look a little bit too gung ho in a way. You know, they against Italy, yeah, they did absolutely cream them. But Italy were playing a three four three. They were experimented. Darmian was playing centre half. You know, they didn't have their their first choice back line in a way. Midfield, Thiago Motta and Montelivo. You know, will he play that in the tournament? Probably not. So it was an experimental team from Conte. Um, with with Germany playing Goetz uh, up front with Ozil off him. I don't mind that. But I feel that it just, with Thomas Muller through the middle, it gives you a hell of a lot. It really does. His movement, his ability, you know, it's just really, Thomas Muller's one of those players where he gets to a, an international tournament and he takes himself to that next level. I don't quite see that in European football all the time. You know, we see him at very, very good level, but it's internationally. It seems to just switch on for him. His movement gets better. His finishing is very, very clinical. He's a clinical player, but it, I think it is getting getting a holding midfielder in there for Germany that's going to allow them to push their full-backs on. Two central midfielders in there, you know, Cruz and a partner, whoever. And then obviously that right-back slot, you know, it'd go with potentially getting Ginter in there, Rudiger's played that mm. position. You know, Jerome Boateng could even play right-back if necessary. So I feel they've just got to get the right blend. But I think with Germany, it's these friendlies mean absolutely nothing. Uh, you know, <laughs> through the yeah. years, Germany have been very, very poor. Pre-tournament, pre-tournament, they've been poor. They've been very inconsistent. They'll win one, they'll lose one. Win the one, they'll lose them. They had a terrible record before the World Cup. I think they were yeah. they'd lost two on the bounce before the tournament started, and then they just switched it on. Strolling. So I feel it's that it's getting that blend blend of uh, players into the side, and which ones you want to pick, which ones you want to leave out, and having that sort of defensive stability by dropping one of your attacking midfielders and adding in someone that's central midfielder. What well, it looks like it's going to be Antonio Conte's final tournament as Italy manager it's never been confirmed yet uh, unless I'm going crazy he's, he's not been confirmed he's Chelsea manager yet right no it's not it's just the worst kept secret in football um, yes. obviously apart, their squad the is whole, not uh, apart from the whole Jose Mourinho secret but yeah <laughs> yeah that one <laughs> or the Jimmy Kayla um, secret but that's a whole other secret <laughs> obviously their squad is not as strong uh, as it once was but what sort of challenges is Conte facing going into this one I think he's trying to find a blend of uh, bringing youthful players in, playing you know, you know, playing players like Bernadeschi, playing players like Insignia, 
getting them blended into the side in the right position and playing the right system. You know, he's a, he's a big fan of the three at the back. We all know that. I feel again he should go back for, to the 3-5-2. It's served Italy so well in the past and it can do it again. But it's where Insignia is going to play, whether he's going to play off a striker, um, whether it be, you know, Graziano Pella maybe. Pella's a really interesting player in the Premier League where he goes through big runs of form and then he doesn't score for like two months. But at the moment, obviously... He likes to score at the start of the season. Then he has his mid-period where he's chilling out. Christmas time, has a few pies. Then he's back in the back in form again around March time. And you know, if he can continue that form to the Euros, Pella could be a, a sort of really interesting striker for them. I think bringing in like Jorginho as well from um, Napoli could be quite big. El Shahawi, you know, he's been looking really good at Roma. So it's just going to be it's going to be interesting to see which Italy team he starts on the on the in the first game. To be honest, because at the moment we know pretty much nothing from what he's doing because he's just experimenting. Sorry, I dropped out there. Okay. Sorry, the connection dropped out there. <clears throat> um, should we move on to some transfer talk? I'll, I'll introduce you properly. No. Let's move on to some baseless transfer talk, Dave. Looks like Granit Xhaka is going to Arsenal. Thirty-five million pound deal. This one's in build, actually, so it's probably not that baseless. Yeah, um, no, it's there, mate. It's done. It's, com- it's converted, <laughs> isn't it? Surely, it makes sense. They need signings. Flamini, Arteta, Riziki coming to the end of their their contracts this summer. Get Xhaka in. Thirty-five million. Wenger said he's going to be the next season. Bish, bash, bosh. Yeah, you know the blind, the the build. Sorry, it's pretty much the sun in Germany. They've got good connections in Bayern Munich. They broke the Mario Goetze news before it came out, which was quite interesting. But um, this one for me, I don't think it's on at all. I, <gasps> he's a competitive, he's a competitive central midfielder. Um, you know, he makes a lot of tackles, plays quite sensible passes, completes a lot of passes in games. Got a bit of a poor disciplinary record this season. Uh, you know, he's six yellow cards, picked up three red cards. He's been massively, massively outshadowed this season by Dahoud in midfield, the 19-year-old uh, Gladbach central midfielder that pretty much is running the show. He's the next big cheese, and it seems like Grant Jack is coming to the end of his life cycle at uh, Gladbach in a way, and it's time for him to move on. So uh, he will move on, but I just don't think it'll be Arsenal. I don't think it's a it just doesn't look like a right fit for me for Arsenal for a for a central midfielder. It's not the classic Wenger player. Someone it's with a bit metro, of bite. Dave. It's in the Metro as well. I, I know, but the they're metro. probably quoting the same paper, and it there's a big chain of paper, oh and God. there's some Blame dude that's had a laugh right on Twitter, on Twitter, and you know how it is. But he's a, he's a good player, and if he if he does get into the Arsenal team, he'll, he'll bring he'll bring some bite, he'll bring something. But is he the right player to take them to the next level? I'd say no. Hmm, interesting. Um, some other sort of transfer tattle. Lawrence, yeah. a few question marks over Thibaut Courtois. Now, some people saying, some newspapers, uh, namely the Evening Standard, saying that Real Madrid are going to come in with a huge offer. Mm-hmm. $73 million is the fee being quoted. And I've seen a few Chelsea fans turn on Courtois. They're not happy with his behaviour this season. He's come out of a few choice quotes in the last few, few weeks. One blaming Mourinho. One, you know, sometimes the truth does hurt, but maybe the truth it can be relayed more tactfully yeah. in the media. And I think he, he's given off a certain reputation. Someone asked him if he's going to be at Chelsea next season. He's like, oh, I can't say yes, I can't say no. Fans don't want to hear that. They want to hear, I'm, I'm dedicated to the cause, I'm sticking with this team. That sort of uncertainty, I've seen Chelsea fans turn against him and they, they want to see the back of him now. They see him as ungrateful. And they, they'll, they'll take that 73 million. Yeah, and then who would they replace him with? Tesh Jagan? Tasman Begovic, mate. 
Of course, yeah. <laughs> Mitch is uh, he's absolutely top class, mate. He's uh, he's been a more than a more than adequate backup. Let's just buy a pet check back as well. Why not? I mean, yeah, I wouldn't awesome. even want to go back to uh, <laughs> to Chelsea. That looks like a folly now, doesn't it? That looks like a, a slightly short term short term thinking. Um, I suppose so. Yeah, I mean that is part of the problem. Is that again it, it, one one of the reasons why maybe he doesn't feel particularly committed to Chelsea was because they basically loaned him out when he was younger. Uh, yeah. took him to another place and basically said, look how good Spain is. And he was like, yeah. And now... But he doesn't feel that sense of loyalty. Well, yeah, I mean, why would because... you? Why would you to a club that's shown you none? They did, you know, they, they sort of let him, not let him, but they sort of loaned him out to Atletico Madrid. He became the first choice there, but they, they sort of brought him back, said, we are going to sell one of the most experienced goalkeepers, most successful goalkeepers, great goalkeepers we've ever had in order to make you our number one. Yeah. And this is the thanks they get. Well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, at the same time, you know, I guess that's the point with with the Chelsea system isn't seem particularly smooth. The disrest, the dis, uh, not disrested, the the, the the problems at the club and people not being very comfortable. Just in general, the culture at Chelsea overall doesn't seem very conducive to it. Uh, you know, overall, you can't really blame them for wanting to leave because it doesn't look like they're going to win the Premier League next season. Uh, even if they do have Conte, I mean, it'd be very surprising if when they had Conte, they did that. Um, Is that is that the problem then, though? <laughs> Incredibly, for a team that won the, the last season, players who were there, obviously, they're not going to be in the Champions League next season. As you say, it's hard to see them challenging next season. Yeah. That All of a sudden, Chelsea don't have the long-term appeal that maybe Arsenal, maybe even Spurs have. But Arsenal, Spurs, uh, you know, I imagine there are certain players who want to work with Conte. <laughs> uh, yeah. City, Manchester United... Uh, maybe even West Ham at this point. I mean, you know, what's the difference between going to Chelsea and West Ham? If West Ham are promising investment, they can invest. They've had a lot of good players uh, go to the side recently. It depends on the way they deal with it over the summer. And they're going to a brand new stadium. Interestingly, if Thibaut Courtois does leave, the man has been linked with a move to Stamford Bridge is Gianluigi Donnarumma. The young AC Milan goalkeeper, only Stay seventeen, mm. only seventeen years old. Yeah, yeah, uh, the yeah, player's yeah. agent claims he's worth one hundred and nineteen million pounds, which seems steep, I'll admit. But reports are that with Milan making a huge loss last year, they are willing to sell off their prize asset in order to get some of that sweet, sweet dollar. <laughs> Adam, we know how much you like dollar, mate. <laughs> Adam loves dollar. Adam, it, dollar is. I think if we don't call you Adam Dollar Boltwood from now on, I'll be a long word. lost. I'll be a long lost man. I prefer the word "but." Spend any time with Barnaby from Spurred on on YouTube. Great channel. Can subscribe. He says the word "bunts" twenty times a day, meaning money, and uh, it becomes infectious. But um, Milan want that bunts, Dave. So you, can you see their 17-year-old goalkeeper who I've had the pleasure of watching him live this season. I mean, not to humble brag or anything like that. Right, well, don't Doesn't look it, like it. a 17-year-old uh, teenager. He looks like an incredibly confident, incredibly commanding presence in the box. How much, is he, how much though, Adam, in your personal opinion, having seen him live, is he a clean-sheet Calvin? Oh. <laughs> I love these alliterative names we've got. Clean-sheet Calvin... Um, well, you, how many clean sheet Calvins would you give him out of five? Uh, Dave, we're three not playing a rumor rater. Three and a half? Yeah. <laughs> three yeah. and a half? Oh. Oh. 
No, I think there's I think there's no point in selling him. Why would you sell your prized asset? You know, Milan want to go back to the top. Months, I've already oh, said that. Come on, no, we don't want. They don't need the money at the moment. I think they just need to get solid again. You know, they need these they young players to come through. Million euro loss last year. I know, but they, they need to they need to hold on to someone like him. He's he's too good. He's too good to let your your prized <laughs> asset go. That's come through. What in the last like five to ten years they haven't really had anything coming through. Now they've got this big cheese. You don't want to let him go. You know he's so so good. His his ability, his reaction saves are fantastic. His reach is incredible. He looks decent on the ball. He just looks like a fine fine goalkeeper. And it, they'd be crazy to sell him. Absolutely crazy. Similarly, Everton would be crazy to sell Romelu Lukaku. When you agree, Dave, fifty million is the sort of price that's being thrown about. He, he again is another player who sort of opened up his his future question mark, saying he wants to play in the Champions League next season. Obviously, Everton aren't going to achieve that this term. We've spoken yeah. about him before. We've spoken about how promising he is and how he's you know one of the the few players to score was it more than fifty goals in his first under the age of twenty three. Do you think quickly that it is the right move for him to leave Everton? That maybe this team doesn't match the ambition for his talent almost. Well, I heard from Steve down the pub that Juve had, uh, you know, Juve's agents had been in town speaking to young Lukaku. But no, he, he, I think it's. I, I hate to say this, but it's probably the right time to move. You know, he scored sixty goals in the Premier League now uh, in the last four seasons. Only Aguero scored more goals than him. Someone like Juventus would be perfect for him. You know, a club that's got a lot yeah, of young players going together. But obviously, any Premier League side would want him. He'd work at Liverpool, United, City, Arsenal, Chelsea. Imagine if he went back to Chelsea. That'd be well funny. That'd be the ultimate like Tottenham. You know, if Harry Kane goes to Real Madrid for one hundred and thirty-five million, no, shit fifty of that for Lukaku, and you're laughing. But no, he's a He's a top quality player. He's improved this season on his his touch and his uh, you know his passing. His, I thought last season he was awful. Like sometimes they'd fire the ball into him and his first touch would he, the ball would just fly off his toe or you know he'd, he'd, the ball would come into him and then he'd play a silly pass and they'd lose possession. But he's he's improved that last this season and he's improved in his finishing even more than he already had. You know he's becoming clinical, becoming more of a, a, a physical player. You know he has all, he's always had the attributes, but now he's using those attributes. He's using his ability to jump and head the ball and. Uh, you know, connect with a, a shot and really crack it. So he's he's going to be the big one this summer, I think. He's going to, you know, you could save 70 million, couldn't you, for Lukaku? Oof. I mean, he's got everything. I think, as you point out there, he has got all of the assets, um, which make him so uh, valuable. Well, about a little bit about Goethe, Lawrence. Good. Heavily linked with move to, to Liverpool. Even Sky Sports are getting in on this act. They're saying they want <laughs> to be reunited with Klopp. So it must be true. Yeah. Some people say he's the missing piece. This is the perfect move. Others less less sold on that idea. Yeah, I mean he's been out for quite some time. Um, not through any reason, but mainly because he's just sort of fallen out of favour. Um, I think you know it makes sense that they would sort of look to move him on at this point. Although you'd say with Pep moving on and them looking to uh, you know reconstruct us squad and maybe sort of upgrade things after he leaves it would make sense uh if they were to basically say uh why don't you stay for another season and just see how it works out stay for another season yeah but uh, it but i suppose with carl eventually coming in you know when he arrived at Bayern munich it was sort of a massive fanfare from the great rival Borussia Dortmund. pep guardiola hasn't quite worked out but as you say maybe another season is the way to do it but 
he's available for as little as 15, 20 million because yeah. his contract is sort of ending at the end of next season. So you can see Liverpool, if Liverpool paid, what was it, 32 million for Benteke, they're going to try and push this deal through. Yeah. No, I understand what you're saying. Um, I, and I also think, obviously, the, the, the pull of working with Klopp again and uh, sort of working alongside uh, coming towards his peak, Coutinho coming towards his peak, uh, another striker maybe that they get, maybe works with Daniel Sturridge, you know, being part of a he- one of the heroes that constructs this side, I think will be fantastic for him. Um, it's also what he brings to Liverpool. You know, I think he, he shows his collaborative teamwork, play, all those sorts of things are exactly what Liverpool need. Um, the only, my only worry is that if Goethe comes, what happens to the position of Coutinho? Uh, I think the problem is that's looking at Liverpool with the model that it is now. And I think Klopp is going to look to construct or reconstruct some of that over the uh, over the summer. And then we'll have a better idea of where someone like Goethe will probably fit in. At the moment, I think he'd fit perfectly. Um, but it, it's sort of how you see that overall playing out over a season. Mm. Shall we finish this week's podcast with a few little strange stories that are floating around the world of football? There have How's been some floaters, haven't oh, there, yeah. this week? Yeah, yeah I like There's it. been Floater. some floaters. Mm. Lawrence, talk to me about why Lionel Messi has angered this is prick, Egyptian MPs. <laughs> is it just what? because he's a terrible, terrible person? I, I think and, it's... Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I've never seen Messi do anything good on or off the football pitch. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> uh, you know, I think he's I basically... I story of... Uh, that may back up your... your this may back up your uh, assertion there, Lawrence. Do you, have you heard the story about how when Pep Guardiola was at Barcelona, he tried to, you know, be strict with the players and sort of, you know, get everyone very regimented and, and, and instill some discipline? And he apparently said to Messi, you know, no more fizzy drinks. That's it. You can't be drinking Coke, Pepsi, any of that sort of stuff. No more. Messi went. <laughs> Messi went. Okay, boss. Walked out the changing room. Went to a vending machine. Got a can of Pepsi. Walked back into the changing room. Opened it up and drank the whole thing in front of him in one go. Oof, wow. To say, I'm the boss, mate. I'm yeah. in charge here. Yeah, yeah. So and also, and also to say, they pay me fifty million dollars a year. <laughs> Are you mental? That's sweet bunts. But this this move that, that that's quite a dickish move. But I mean, this if true, if true, which by the way sounds <laughs> this completely is, untrue. This when you, when anyone tells stories like that, apart from Zlatan, it sounds completely untrue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it was our good friend Alligator who came out with that one. So uh, make that well, one. Well, you well, maybe it is true then. Yeah. Interestingly enough, apparently Guardiola got the control over Messi by um, allowing Messi get to go to the Olympics. Um, and missed the first few La Liga games. Messi obviously wanted to go to the Olympics. He wants to win everything he can. Um, and first Guardiola turned around and said, no, you're not going. You know, you've got, you're doing training with me. Yeah, we, we've got this big game that's coming up in La Liga. You've got to be there. Obviously, Messi threw an absolute sulk. And then Guardiola eventually decided to let him go, obviously missing the first few La Liga games. Juventus, uh, Juventus sorry, Barcelona went on a little bit bad run of form at that start of the point, but it got that control. And I think it got a bit of faith from Messi back into Guardiola. So, you know, the, the, both of those things, it's really interesting that Messi is a footballing, you know, as a person in a way. It's interesting that as a top manager, you've got to do certain things to allow certain players to drink that kind of Pepsi if they fancy it. Well, yeah, there's got to be a reason why. I mean, that, there, is, there is also that headline. Uh, I mean, it, it is pretty funny. There's the headline of, uh, who was it over the last week that's been told he can't eat any more Nutella? <laughs> uh, Nutella <laughs> football. Let me, let me look it up. Player. Uh, while you're second. looking that up, also apparently Messi Messi had to give up pizza. He used to love 
just buy pizzas as a, as a post-match meal and Apparently, he used to wash it down with a can of Sprite, which is probably not the best uh, meal for an athlete. Apparently pizza's good. High in, high in calories. They're, so they tell them to eat pizza now. Pizza? Yes, they do, yeah. After the game, because they, they basically want to get the calories back in their system as, as quick as possible. Sure, there's a better way than they might be, pure Adam. cheese pizza. <laughs> I was going to say, there's got to be... I mean, you're surrounded by good, like, you know, <laughs> proper energy professionals, and they're going, just get poor pizza hut, uh, just get <laughs> yeah, it up, super get supreme. Yeah. Um, do, if you're a real you athlete, you will get a large Domino's after this match. That's what the real athletes do. That's going to be my excuse from now on. Maybe it when is. When I play five aside, I'm just going to go straight down to Domino's, mate, get a full extra large can of Sprite. Messi does it, so it must be all right. This is what I'm imagining um, is in, like, you know, in, like, you know, Siena or somewhere like that, the health and the, old, you know, the physio <laughs> is just an old woman. And she's going, it's okay. It do my son good. It do you good. You replace all the calorie with the calorie. You're not a fat bastard you're a lovely little man and all the players are just like i'm serious i really don't think we need f- we need pizza <laughs> after match. anyway max cruiser at wolfsburg fantastic impression fantastic impression yeah, i'm doing very good impression of old italians um it, apparently he, um he's done a lot of weird things but the club basically there's a lot of people <laughs> claiming that he was addicted to nutella <laughs> i don't think it's actually true or however the hell they found this out um but basically, they told him, uh, you know, get off the Nutella. Um, he's, <laughs> but, had, he's had quite a few problems. I mean, he's uh, he's been dropped from the Germany team. Uh, there are problems with uh, obviously gambling as well. Um, and then the did, whole did he get fined last week? I think he got for fined. the gambling. Yeah, I think he did get for fined, Wolfsburg actually, for the gambling. <laughs> um, and I think overall, he's just going through a bit of a formative period in German football, where people seem to basically be saying to him, uh, "Don't eat Nutella. Don't gamble." Uh, don't shout at people in clubs and you'll definitely uh, won't get dropped from the squad. But obviously he was by Yogi Love over the past week. So not the best time for him to be dropped because obviously so that, this is one of the last opportunities to impress pre-tournament. That messy story that I mentioned there was backed up by a leaked uh, team menu, which showed, you know, w- which each member of the team eats for their, for their post-match meal. Apparently uh, Gerard Piquet is a fan of the Nutella as well. His choice was Nutella sandwich. That's what he used to eat. Nutella is apparently, I mean, anything with nuts in is apparently good. I mean, you know, apparently Mm. one of the best ways to start the day is apparently with a glass of water and, uh, Mm. you know, like a scoop of peanut butter or something. And a bit of Nutella. Um, Javier Mascherano used to love a a little pasta salad. He's a fan of the pasta salads. You're just going to go through the whole menu Uh, now? No, just a few. Sergio Roberto loves a bit of sushi. A little bit of sushi there. And, of course, Messi is cheese pizza. The food of the gods, famously. Of, um, of course, he, he donated his boots over the last week to uh, an Egyptian yeah, we got TV show. Yeah, <laughs> um, and when, when, an, when an MP of Egypt, and I think someone else who's involved in the Egyptian FA, basically said, um, found out about this. They said, boots? We don't need boots. This is, this is, it was a bit like, you know, the scene in Zoolander where the guy shows him the model of the school. <laughs> yeah, that's do. exactly what it's like. Um, was this, this a school for ants? It was kind of like... So, boots we do not need shoes in this country does he think that we need shoes and they were like no no it, it, he, i mean he's just donating them. they're probably worth a lot of money yes. um here's the quote messi donated his boots at a charity auction uh, no, That's the thing is, he, he didn't even donate them for a charity auction apparently the show collects them and then says right. that they will auction them off for charity they don't stipulate the charity they don't stipulate whether it's go to, going to go to egypt or anywhere they literally just take a possession of the player and say can we use it for charitable purposes the television presenter Saeed Hassisin said, 
whose shoes do you want to sell, Messi? How much do you think it will get? You don't know that the nail of a baby Egyptian is worth more than your shoes. Keep your shoes to yourself. Messi, we Egyptians are 90 million people who have pride. We have shoes. We don't eat off, we don't eat off the money of other people's shoes. I would have understood it if he donated Barcelona's uniform to the Egyptians. It's accepted, but just the shoes? Just imagine He's this really in the same tone as, what is this? A school for ants? <laughs> what is this? I mean, I feel like he's taking it the wrong way. The, it's, it's not an insulting gesture, I would say. But, um, no, I mean, not certainly... only that, but then uh, I, I think Mido, you know, obviously famous Egyptian Mido, tweeted back okay. that um, one of the most valuable things that a player can obviously earn uh, or have are their boots because they're, you know, mm. the instruments or the implements with which they play. Um, so he was sort of saying it's a great honour to get someone's boots. Yeah, either way, I guess. I mean, I'm I'm looking on eBay right now. You can get a one Neymar boot and one Messi boot signed for just under a grand. And that's a lot of shoes. <laughs> Speaking of misspent money, Martin Dimichaelis has been hit with an FA misconduct charge, Dave, after racking up 12 alleged betting offences in one week. What has, what has this guy been up to? He Maybe he was, on, he was on the lash, wasn't he? Maybe he just had a week on, on the booze and twelve the down to the betting shop. Dave, I, yeah, I would I'll say put, that's libel, Dave. Five. So I, I don't think that's true. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. No, no, there's not even I'm, allegedly. I'm there's not even alleged. There's nothing to do with what I'm just, just making it up. I'm completely yeah. making it up. I'm just saying what potentially could have happened. You know, he had a few lagers. Got a bit giddy, went down the went down the pub. I don't oh, do I put a bet on Michael? Dave, just because you have to make everything uh, <laughs> sort of alliterative in football doesn't mean he's Dimichaelis the drunk. All right, it does. Oh, okay. oh Lawrence, mate, though, Dimichaelis, you're not a drunk. We're not saying that about you. Not saying that. Not saying that. No, um, we definitely not. Bit of a weird one. Bit of a weird one. I'd say um, he's got until the 5th of April of 5pm to respond to the charges. Uh, there's no suggestion that it relates to any of the, the league and cup games in which City have featured this season, which is kind of what people have been suggesting. What is it related the... to then? Uh, we'd... Apparently it's not related to City games. So I'm not saying it's to do with match fixing with okay. him personally. Sure. Makes allegedly. Let's yeah, just yeah. throw in an allegedly there. So we're covered. Final story. I want to talk a little bit about Kaka. Lawrence. Yeah. He has admitted that he still can't work out how Liverpool won the 2005 Champions League. <laughs> it's a lot of the highlights, mate. It seems quite understand. clear. He literally cannot understand what the hell is going on. Yeah. He's haunted and perplexed by the win. He said, honestly, years later, I still can't understand how we managed to lose that game. We had the best defenders in the world in that team. Our back four was Cafu, Yapstam, Alessandro Nesta, and Paolo Maldini. But we still let him three goals in six minutes. I feel like he's having a breakdown. Uh, and Vladimir Smitsa scored a long-distance <laughs> strike. To just add insult to injury. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Kaká also set up, I'd say, one of the greatest goals in Champions League final ever. I mean, that the beautiful oh, yeah. sec- the, the ball for the second. Crespo didn't even need to touch it. It was basically a perfect through ball. He then, Crespo hits it with the outside of his boot and it just sort of sails over Dudek perfectly. If you are them, you do... You, you, you would think why I think when you hear the Liverpool players tell it they're going to tell it in a different way they're going to say you know we saw Gattuso patting the Champions League trophy as they walked out onto the pitch and apparently Carragher gave a little look across to one of the other players it's very unlucky to obviously touch the trophy before you win it um, and Carragher says when he saw that they sort of knew that no matter what happened on that night um, you know that they would go you know they'd go on to win it so yeah, I, I think that year things just seemed to align for Liverpool. Poor Kaká, though, because Poor Kaka, you know that that was one of the greatest 
Champions League teams of all time. You know, they had some great uh, quads and threes within that up front. They had some of the best players. Kaká was fantastic within that side. Um, I, you know, I think it was also P. Cancelotti, really, wasn't it? You know, that that was that's even before Ibrahimovic and the rest of those guys turned up. This was before it essentially became the bastardized AC Milan that we know now. This was like pure Milan, if you like. Um, and it, it was just, it was great. And, it, you know, even worse, I suppose, to them is that, you know, Dido was at the back. Um, and, oh, God. You know, that, he was really he was really good for that. that period, those those yeah. years, Dido was one of the exactly. best keepers in Europe. I mean, he was prone Pro to a mistake. evolution legend. He, yeah, he is. <laughs> he, he was definitely prone to a mistake from time to time. But, I mean, within that time, he was... You know, I, I, he was basically one of the most informed goalkeepers. Mm. Uh, if he was one of the least sort of uh, mentally stable, it's quite interesting. It's like that. That's the thing with Brazilian goalkeepers, isn't it? Julio Cesar had a great end to the you know the first d- decade in the two thousands, mm. where you know into Milan he was unbeatable. But then, like what, probably a year after he just started bottling it, couldn't catch. That's all about the hands. End the podcast on that note. I mean, oh, what more thing? time to end it in there we've been going for an hour right probably yeah <laughs> probably <laughs> i've been keeping track of time it's all right um guys it's been a pleasure to be speaking to you lawrence thank you for joining us it's been measure. transformative wednesday evening for me where can the good people find you if they want to see all of your thoughts in 140 characters or less uh, good. Go to uh, Twitter. Type in L O Z C A S T. And David O'Brien. Well, thank you for having, having me as always, Adam. It's been a pleasure. And you, Lawrence. You know, thank, thank top you, podcast. Yeah. Um, I go to Twitter. I'm going to type in L O Z C A S T, and then click follow to find all my best work. Good. Yes. S Q U A W K A D A V E. Let's end on the words of Gary Goals himself at Days in 1996. You said, the front free podcast without Adam Bullwood is like porn without sound. Uh, yeah, very interesting. <laughs> very interesting indeed. Very interesting indeed. Sweet. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you on Saturday for the q Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A podcast. I for one cannot wait. Have a great week. <laughs>